Shanti Deva. Some of you may know Shanti Deva, but Shanti Deva is an Indian scholar and practitioner of the seventh century. And Shanti Deva points out that the world is covered with thorns and thistles and stones and pebbles. And that if we walk barefoot across that kind of path, we'll always be stubbing our toes and hurting ourselves. So what are we going to do? Are we going to carpet the earth? That's not possible. But if we take two pieces of leather and put them under our feet as sandals or shoes, then we can walk anywhere and we are protected. But like trying to carpet the earth, if we try to make the whole world, our entire external environment perfect and smooth and without conflict, we'll find that that's impossible too. We're always going to meet people who annoy us. We're always going to meet situations that don't come up to our expectations. This is the way things are. And if we hope that we can somehow create an external environment, which will always come up to our expectations, then we're going to be sadly disappointed. So this past year has taught us what it means to not have control over our external environment, right? It has taught us the truth of uncertainty, unpredictability, and surrendering you know, to the unknown. It's not very comfortable. So here's a critical question. If I can't change everything outside of me, what is it that I can change? How can I recover and persist and thrive in the face of change? What is the starting point? So the Dalai Lama was once asked in a meeting with Western teachers, you know, what is it that would be most useful for the students in the West to remember? And he responded, he said, trust the power of your heart and awareness to wake up to any circumstances. No matter how difficult the situation, individually or collectively, we can wake up through that. And the founding master of One Buddhism expressed this same prayer, you know, that every time we come into contact with something that disturbs us, with that something that is really difficult, you know, we don't forget that this is an opportunity for practice, right? That made this moment serve the awakening of compassion and wisdom. And this is possible, right? Because we have a very powerful force of true resilience. In the tough times, we have this ability to focus on, you know, how to put ourselves together. And it's this capacity that we all need to deal with the stresses of life is what, what allows us to flourish. So there are studies that show that resilience has, you know, certain factors. And one of them is that resilient people, you know, rather than perceiving themselves as a victim or like perceiving themselves as I am bad or start blaming outward conditions, they have a sense of their own potential to grow, to learn and to transform, right? And the second is that resilient people don't interpret difficulty as bad or as a problem, 
So there was a study by a researcher named Kelly McGonigal, and she did this experiment with about 30,000 people over a period of eight years. And they asked two questions, right? So one was, how much stress did you have last year? And the second question was, do you believe stress is harmful for your health? So those are the two questions, and they tracked who passed away, right? And here's what they found. They found that those who experienced lots of stress the previous year had 43% more chance of dying. But that was only true for those who believed stress was bad for their health. The lowest risk of anyone in the study were those with high stress, but they didn't believe it was bad. But we should be very careful in how we interpret this. We are acknowledging that there is suffering. But what we're doing is that we're changing our relationship to it by being mindful of how we perceive our suffering. So this doesn't mean we're trying to avoid or suppress feelings of loneliness or depression. In fact, society sometimes teaches us to be ashamed of our pain or our fear. But for the sake of resilience, we're learning to relate to suffering with compassion instead of disdain. So that uh, very famous um, Buddhist nun Pema Chodron says, only to the extent that we expose ourselves over and over to annihilation can that which is indestructible in us be found. So resilience, we can understand it you know, as that capacity to accept and to be able to tolerate that suffering that comes to us. It's also that capacity to use the experience of suffering to understand ourselves and others, right? And most importantly, it's that capacity to transform suffering into growth. So when we say resiliency, it means that you're able to accept whatever comes into your life and you use that as an opportunity to, low and, to learn and grow. So the good news is, is that we can that develop this resilience, right? It's something that can be developed. And Dharma practice offers an approach to training resilience, right? So Sutta-san's teachings um, is essential in how to deal with ups and downs of life, how we relate to the waves in our life. And through our One Buddhist training, we are taming and training the mind to be more fully present, right? to be fully present, just to be available in each moment of our ordinary everyday lives. And you may have experienced this during your meditation, you know, when Shinogyo Muni led the meditation, if you found that the mind wandered, you just gently, gently bring back the attention back to the breath. You may have experienced this in your, in your daily life, when someone says something that really annoys you, instead of automatically reacting, you choose to just give yourself some space and respond when the emotions have settled down and the mind is clearer and you feel less attached to your opinions. So it's that ability to restore our equilibrium. And that's what we're doing today here at this retreat. I am so happy and grateful to see all of you here. Today is a Saturday, okay? And you guys are young people on a Saturday at an online retreat. You know, this is wonderful, right? But you, you made that choice, 
you really made that choice. And it's through our seated meditation, through this moving meditation, the eating meditation, the listening, the dialogue that we're engaging in, we are nourishing our resilience. So I want to share a story about one of our senior teachers in One Buddhism, Venerable Sangsan, who were, was one of the first ministers to come to the United States. And there's a story in his memoir that lingers in my memory. Uh, I wasn't physically there when this happened, but I just can envision it in my mind. And he recalls a time when he traveled to Hawaii, right? And before departing for the U.S., a temple member asked him to deliver a jar of red pepper paste to her son who was studying abroad, right? It was possible back then to do that. So, of course, Rambo Sang-san agreed, and he brought the jar of red pepper paste with him to the U.S., and he put it in his hotel room, and he left, and then when he came back, he was going to head out somewhere else to go sightseeing, but when he entered the hotel room, Oh my goodness, he found one wall covered in the red pepper paste. Okay, so just imagine this happened to you. What would you do, right? You come back and this one wall is just covered, right? The, the jar burst and splattered the red paper paste everywhere, right? So what he figured out was that when the red pepper paste was in the plane, it probably had started boiling and then it suddenly caused an explosion in the room. But as soon as he saw that wall, the red wall, he felt very worried, but at the same time, he felt resentment, you know? And there was no cloth in the hotel room to clean up the mess. So what he had to do was use his underclothes to clean it off the wall. But as he started to clean the paste off the wall, he thought about one of the teachings in one Buddhism called the essential dharmas of daily practice. And one of the items says, turn a life of resentment into a life of gratitude. And in that moment, he realized this, the temple member did not intend for this to happen to him, nor would she have wished for it to happen to him. And then he thought to himself, if the jar had exploded in the plane or the taxi, it would have been far worse. At least exploded in this, it exploded in this empty hotel room. So after that realization, he felt gratitude and said to himself, okay, what a relief. I'm so grateful, right? So I appreciate the story because Renable's Hangsan, like any one of us, felt that moment of resentment when he saw the red pepper paste covered wall. However, what he was able to do was immediately turn that resentment into gratitude. And he didn't, he didn't get stuck in the story, right? And that one decision turned an unpleasant situation into one of finding grace, one of modeling generosity. So it was a moment to really shine the light inwards instead of pointing the finger outside. So shining that light inwards is really tapping into that true resilience that we all have. When we shine the light inwards, we are returning to what we call the Buddha nature. Some call it original nature. We can call it our spiritual hometown and we take refuge in presence that's right there, right? And when we shine the light inwards, it helps us to see whatever is going on in our lives, right? But the main problem, the reason why we get hijacked, the reason why, you know, the problem that obscures us from liberation is this identification with that false sense of I or ego, right? And this ego manifests itself through our 
thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, our sense of duality, you know, everything we think through the conceptual mind, right? So then there's that understanding that behind that constant flow of thoughts or memories or feelings, there's that quality of knowing that we usually don't recognize because we're so caught up in thinking. We don't recognize that which is behind the thoughts, that quality of awareness, clarity, you can call it empty spaciousness. And in the Buddhist tradition, they compare this to the sky, right? Because the sky is vast and endless. It has no center, it has no circumference, and it's infinite. And you don't divide the sky, right? This is my sky, that's your sky, right? So we're going to, I just want to invite you to a short meditation to see what is that sky-like mind so I invite you just to close your eyes for a moment. Just gently close your eyes and let yourself be aware of this body sitting here, breathing. Feeling the awareness inside the body. Just relax and open what may feel tight or tense. And in this practice, just let yourself picture the vast sky, an endless sky, very clear, deep, stretching in all directions. This sky, it's empty, it's transparent and luminous. That is the true nature of the mind. And our thoughts and feelings are like clouds appearing in the sky. So sometimes the clouds are fluffy and we're happy. Sometimes they're big and gloomy and there's thunder and lightning and we're distraught. But either way, the nature of the sky remains unaffected, right? You can't make the sky any purer or dirtier. The sky is just something that is, and it's transparent and luminous and clear. And when we sit and meditate, we sit with sincerity, then we're able to at least experience, even for a brief moment, this transparent nature of the mind and touch who we truly are, which is something infinite and vast. Right? And when we touch the nature of the mind, which is our true nature, and we see that we are actually all completely connected. It's not that this is my sky and that's your sky. Sky is just sky. And when we realize this, then we realize that just as we wish to receive kindness, 
respect and love from others. So also others would like to receive these things from us. So just gently opening your eyes again. So we call this the Buddha nature, the original nature. It's that which unites us, right? Sutta-san expressed this um, in the Iron Sang, the circle that you see behind me. Uh, perfect, complete, utterly impartial and selfless. Right. So whenever you see a circle, let that be a reminder to you that you have that ability to restore your Buddha nature, right? But what should bring us a lot of comfort is that every time we return to our Buddha nature, every time we shine the light inwards, every time we're sitting on that cushion or doing a meditation, we transform ourselves little by little. Even the neuroscience tells us that our brain changes with practice because of neuroplasticity. It creates new neural pathways, right? Even with genetics, we're just starting to understand that just because you're born with a certain set of genes, you're not in a biological prison as a result of those genes, right? So again, as the Dalai Lama said, trust the power of your heart and awareness to wake up to any circumstances. We may be living in different times, but it's our opportunity to wake up and we have the inner resources to tap into us, right? To help us grow, thrive and transform. And that's why this coming together is so important and so special because we together we're accessing those innate resources through the practice, right? We're, we're finding our inner equilibrium and we're coming to realize our common humanity as we go into the small discussion groups, we're going to see we're not alone in our feelings, right? And with consistent practice, Toyon introduced me to this roly-poly toy. I'm going to show you what that is. Have you heard of a roly-poly toy? <laughs> I'm going to show you what that is all about, okay? So this is my roly-poly toy. Can you see this, roly-poly? Yeah, so you see what happens. Okay, let's see what happens with the roly-poly toy. So yeah, see, that's a sensory condition. That's a difficult situation. Notice how this roly-poly toy is not as affected <laughs> as much, but it finds the equilibrium, comes back to the center, right? So that's what we're doing today. We're creating that, we're nourishing and cultivating that power to do that so that every time we're knocked over, we return to the center. Oh.